All right, welcome back, Scissors and Scrubs. I'm getting back to basics here with a little death and destruction. Your favorite. You know how I love a good story of mm -hmm. death and destruction. Mm -hmm. So someone gonna... wrote in about this, right? They wrote about yours. Yeah, and then I tagged mine on, right? Because I like I just like the story. I yep. love the story. Another listener suggestion. Another. I'm telling you guys, you're getting us through. Mm -hmm. So, um, you are covering the Nickabaka. Thana. I just like the name, the Nickabaka. I mean, it's really perfect for us. Nickabaka, Thana. Well, and there was the show, The Nick, on season. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I only saw season one, but I fucking loved it. it uh, yeah, a lot of people like that. That was show. a great show. Was it Clive Owen was the doctor? Oh, it was good. It was very good. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yes. Yeah. All right, so anyway, Nickabaka. The Nickabaka. All right, you want me to go? I do. I want All you right. to go. Go for it, Nickabaka. All right. The Nickabaka Theater opened in 1917. Oh. It was DC's in Washington DC. It was DC's largest picture house. It was decorated like wicked ornately with ivory and gold, like ivory. this beautiful, beautiful theater. It was used for concerts and lectures, but most famously and most popularly, it was used for showing silent films accompanied by an orchestra. So they would back then it was you know there was all silent films. No. <laughs> funny that would be and they put the words up yeah. after what they were saying so it's a big <laughs> stage because they do other things on it and it has the you know screen and then they would show the silent film and then there's an orchestra pit in front of it and the orchestra plays play music, music. To the, yeah. so if it's a comedy they play funny music you know it's a scary they play scary music um it held 1700 people it had seats for 1700 people so it was a really big theater um on january 27th 1922 the largest snowstorm to ever hit Washington, D.C. to date began. Oh, wow. Um, by noon on January 28th, over 18 inches had fallen. Ooh, that's and a by lot. 9 p.m. on the 28th, over two feet had accumulated. Oh, that's a lot. By the end of the storm on January 29th, 28 inches had fallen in D.C. And of course, just like the blizzard of 78 or other huge storms, it was like, it might rain, it might snow. Like, well, no one. Like in 1922, right, too. No like, one was expecting. The weather was, you know, stick yeah. a sheet out the window, see what happens to it. Um, on the night of January 28th, the Nickabaca was showing Get Rich Quick, Wallingford. <laughs> which. <laughs> Wallingford. Which was a silent comedy film. It's such a silent comedy film name. Uh, Wallingford. Yeah. <laughs> um, around, of course, everything differs, like the numbers of people there right. that night differ. Around three. Who's to, going out in three feet of fucking snow to go well, to a they silent start, picture they show? Saying, it was like the end of the storm and they were showing this. And it was like in this really, like it was in kind of like an affluent neighborhood in mm -hmm. D.C. They were like, everybody from the neighborhood could just walk. No one drove. Like they well, all just. stole three feet of snow and yeah. those skirts and shit. They were, well, they were probably like, just get out of the house. You know, something to do. <laughs> They're going inside. Like, Nickelback. Um, so around 300 to 500 people were in attendance that night. Because, again, it was a snowstorm. So not like 1,700 mm -hmm. people weren't there. Um, all right. So just after intermission at 9 p.m., there was a loud hissing noise that sounded like sheets ripping like that. Yeah. Um, in a stream of dust falls from the ceiling into the orchestra pit. Oh. Some people noticed it and got up. Almost everybody didn't pay any attention to it. The orchestra's playing. No one like no one's a like, what's happening? They just heard the noise, saw a little right. dust and didn't really think much of it. Um, however... That noise was the roof splitting directly <gasps> down the middle. Oh, my God. In a split second. Like, literally, they heard that. There was a little dust, nothing. In a split second, the entire roof collapses into the theater. The entire roof. 
from all the weight of the snow. Yeah. It took the balcony down as it collapsed. So the roof and then the balcony all collapsed. The collapse was heard and felt throughout the whole neighborhood. Like people came running outside. What was that noise? What was that sound? There was this huge roar from the collapse. Then there was like complete silence and then just screams and screams (gasps) and moans and agony and people yelling for help. Um, there were hundreds of people trapped under the tons of oh, steel, yeah. bricks, wood, and snow. The ceiling and balcony hit the floor so forcefully that it blew the windows and doors out of the theater and ejected at least two people from the theater, which then saved their lives. God bless, yeah. Yeah. A lot of people were killed instantly, obviously, from being crushed, but hundreds were severely injured and trapped under all of this debris. One man was found sitting. He's in his chair, sitting up. Eyes wide open when they get in there, but he's dead because he had a massive heart attack from like everything around him. It was just he was in this little <laughs> teeny pocket. Just can't even Im- no. They they said like just the way the beams fell yeah, over him. He, he was, was in fine. this little complete pocket, sitting in his goddamn chair. Dead. But had a heart attack. Yeah. Um. Major George Patton. Oh, George Patton. Yep, of the U.S. Army. Yes, like the George yep, Patton. George Patton was called out of his sick bed. While recovering from an allergic reaction to seafood, seafood, (laughs) I die to lead the rescue effort. So he's just a major. The George Pad. The George Pad. It's obviously extremely chaotic when it first happens. There's, you know, survivors that could get out, got out, and volunteers just from people in the neighborhood all run. They're trying to get people out of there. Uh, By midnight, 200 police officers, soldiers, and firefighters were on the scene. And by 6 30 a.m., there were 600 rescuers there. Ambulances from Walter Reed were used to take patients to all area hospitals. Like every hospital near there had patients from this. Um, They had to use um, naval equipment. Like they went to the naval base and got like hydraulic lifts and stuff because just steel beams are on top of these people. They can't get them. So they had to go get naval equipment to lift the beams up. It took until noon on January 29th to free everyone. Wow. So they're sitting there in freezing cold in a snowstorm. No roof, in the snow, under steel, under bricks. It was awful. 98 people died and 133 were injured in this tragedy. That's almost everybody in there. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, if it's three to 500, yeah, that's, I mean, majority. Right. Um, So here's a few of the people that died. Um, Agnes Mellon had just like run into the theater with her boyfriend. Like they must, they were coming in and, yeah. you know, they came from work or wherever they <clears> run <throat> in to catch the show with her boyfriend, James Hoffman. They literally run in and the roof collapses. Oh. So the force that blew out the doors and windows blows James out into the lobby. But not her. And she is crushed to death. Um, she was ID'd in the morgue. Ironically, by her khaki Knickerbocker pants. She had on pants that were called, they were like baggy pants and they called oh. them knickerbockers and that's what she was wearing that night and that's how they ID'd her. Oh. And they said that's how they ID'd a lot of people because they were so crushed. They couldn't see They them. couldn't identify them, but it would be like, oh, that was her dress. Oh, that those were her oh. pants. Oh, that's how they would have to identify people. They said when they, you know, they're trying to get these people out, but they were, they were in there for hours and hours and hours under all this stuff. They would send in little boys with cups of water to oh, crawl God. under all this shit. Can you imagine sending kids into it? Well, could you imagine how much safe it would have been too? Because this shit's not stable. No, obviously. Right. Like it's like and insane. you put kids in there to give. And um, opium pills to give to the oh. people that were screaming. They would give these little kids. Because they didn't want to hear the screaming. <laughs> to just come. Well, let them die. I don't know. But like they would send them in with opium pills and water into the people that were trapped under this oh, shit. Oh my God. 
Um, the orchestra conductor Ernesto Natello. Natello. I know, not really, but um, died instantly, in his but his wife escaped with minor injuries. So bizarre. Violin player Joseph Bale was on the fourth day of his honeymoon when Natello convinced him to come in and play that night because they were like, "Listen, we're down because not everybody can get in." So the people who he was on his honeymoon, I know, but there was like usually twenty people in the orchestra, but because of the snowstorm, there could only be they only like nine people could make it in. So he called him because he lived nearby, and he's like, "Can you just come in?" Like you know, blah 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 blah. So he does. Um, But his new wife decided to stay home and not go in. Um, Bill was crushed to death. Charles Lyman was 17, and he was a star athlete who played baseball and basketball. He attended the Knickerbocker almost every Saturday after his games with his teammates. He died that night, making him one of the youngest victims of the Knickerbocker. Frank's grandmother and many other families sued the theater for negligence, but none of them received money ever. Because they didn't know. What, I mean, what negligence? Because were they supposed to shovel the roof off? Well, no, I'll get into it. Okay. Um, Sorry. Obviously, they investigate what the hell, how did this happen? And even though there was faulty construction found, the building did meet the codes of the day. Um, Originally, Reginald Green, who was the architect, and four others were charged with involuntary manslaughter. But they were never convicted. They kind of... They were like, they met the codes. Like, should it have been better? Yes, yeah. but they met all the codes, so they were the never... The code should be better. Right. So they were never held, like, <clears throat> responsible, really. Reginald, though, lost his career. Obviously, was no one hired him as an architect, and he committed suicide five years later. Oh. Harry Crandall was the owner of the Knickerbocker and, like, a bunch of other theaters around that area. He falls into financial ruin. Like, you know, he's kind of, like... Done. Done. And he committed suicides ten years committed suicide 10 years Jesus. after they both did it by turning on the gas in that stoves um dc building codes were changed after this tragedy obviously um they then ma- so after the tragedy they mandated steel i beams and better support for roofs they did not have mandates for steel what were they using do you know um yeah at the knickerbocker the steel roof beams just rested directly on top of the brick walls so they oh. just laid a piece of steel <laughs> across the brick wall, like so it just collapsed. So yeah. yeah, there was nothing holding them in place. Like it, they were just laying there, <laughs> um, and it was a flat roof. Yeah. So you had three almost you know, almost weight. three feet of snow, and that. it was a wet snow. They said because like the beginning of the storm was like nineteen degrees. By the end of the storm it was like thirty one degrees. Yeah. So it was getting wicked wet and wicked heavy. Um. So yeah, the Nickabog got the steel roof beams literally rested directly on top of the brick. So those <laughs> collapse in the brick walls collapse in. The balcony collapses down within a second. Um, the Knickerbocker Theater collapse is the deadliest disaster to occur in Washington, D.C. Wow. Um, and I got this information from a YouTube video called The Knickerbocker Theater Collapse, a short documentary on fascinating horror. <laughs> um, the Kevin Sheehan Show, which is a podcast. It's called the D.C. Sports Podcast. And that episode was called D.C.'s Worst Disaster. And a Smithsonian Magazine article by Kelly Gormley titled, When a Winter Storm Triggered One of the Deadliest Disasters in D.C. History. Bum, bum, bum. Mm -hmm. Oh, Wallingford, look what you caused. I know. Well, Laura, if you're going to do a collapse, well, then I'm going to do a collapse. And that's how it rolls on this podcast. So I'm doing the Kansas City collapse. That was, this is one of the most awful things I've so ever. i had heard of this i think my favorite murder did a podcast on it yeah i think i heard that one and i i think i saw i watched something one time i got my information from second by second on a and e i wrote it down somewhere but i don't remember where 
it was like a five part thing, second by second on Amy, and it got, covers the Kansas City collapse. I also got it from another article, but I don't think I cited it, so you're just going to have to deal with it. All right. Okay. Kansas City collapse. Here we go. Okay, ready. In 1978, I was five years old, Kansas City starts building a beautiful state-of-the-art hotel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is in the midst of a lot of um, building of all around the country. People are building, 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 and they're renovating and making things really new and state-of-the-art in a real big hurry. Mm-hmm. They're doing these mm-hmm. things. So there's... It usually ends up very well. If you look at this time period, there were a lot of collapses mm-hmm. and destruction of stuff that was kind of built shoddy. So the Hyatt Regency Hotel is going to be 40 stories high. There is a four-story high atrium mm-hmm. with glass ceilings and floating walkways that connect from like one building to the other. They're probably 125 feet. And there's a walkway on the second, third, and fourth floor. The fourth and second floor above each other. The third floor is offset. Okay. And so it's like if you had three of them and you pulled one out to the mm-hmm. side. Um. During construction of this hotel, the atrium roof where these um, things are collapses. An inspection team is brought in to investigate the roof collapse, but they don't look at anything else that's going on in the hotel, just at the roof. They fix it. Done. The design of the walkways in the atrium, as I said, they're offsetting uh, walkways. And originally, they were going to be held, the fourth and second floor walkways, which are stacked above each other, were going to be held by one continuous rod. Mm Mm-hmm. From the second one up through the fourth one, and they would be bolted to the ceiling. The one that collapsed before it opened? Yes, exactly. <laughs> that same one. Yes, they're going to be bolted to the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Uh, they figured that this is, they don't like this design flaw. And what they're going to do instead is they want to, like a rod to the fourth floor, it would connect, and then the box would come out and rods would connect down to the second floor. So now they're offset as well. Mm-hmm. And they contact Jack Gillum, who is the designer of these walkways, uh, if they could use two sets of rods offsetting to support the walkways. And he um, he's like, yeah, you can go ahead and do that. No problem. And the hotel is completed July 1st, 1980. Now, this back and forth with these walkways, that's a lot of phone calls. And it's they will come into play later. Mm. Um, the hotel opens up. Huge reviews in, you know, we're talking Kansas City. There's not fucking happy if I've been to Kansas City. I have not a lot to do in Kansas City. So this is like the it place. This is the it place mm-hmm. to do in 1980. Um, and they host all kinds of events. One of the big events that they have is a tea dance mm-hmm. on Friday nights. Now, a tea dance in 1981 for a World War II vet and his wife is yes. the equivalent of us going to a 1980s dance and thinking it's the best. Right. It was only like... I was doing the math. They think it's like a 35-year difference from 1945 to 1981. Right. And when you think of that, you're like, holy shit, because it's and only it's 30, so, yeah. yeah, it's the same of, of us to, the you 80s. know, 1987. Yeah. So this thing is a really, really big event. And so July 17th, 1981, they're holding one of their big tea parties. Mm-hmm. It's such a big event that they have the news media there covering these tea parties. And it's like, you know, it's the early 80s. So they all have those like dresses on like kind of wrap dresses mm-hmm. and the big glasses and the really fixed hairdos and they're all doing their little fucking jitterbugs and shit dancing around 
um, and the dance floor is packed. Mm-hmm. So you have the big atrium. You have the walkways are set. If you were to walk into this atrium, you have escalators on either side, off to the left and right, and in the back are the walkways mm-hmm. and the glass floor to ceiling four story glass windows and the atriums are overlooking the dance floors so chuck hayes and his wife are there Mm -hmm. mark williams is there checking things out he's Mm -hmm. hanging out dalton grant 11 and his mother connie are getting drinks from the bar which is under the walkways Mm -hmm. he's 11 years old he's he's probably getting shortly oh it's like his last name was 11 yeah no he's 11 (laughs) dalton grant he's 11 years old uh, in this news reporter, he's rec- he's covering this. Mm. So the people are on these walkways, and they are packed full of people watching, watching the, the dance, dance okay. Um, at seven o five, and you can hear it. It's you know, like if you were to hit metal and it goes, bing, 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 mm-hmm. you know, that's what you hear. Yeah, bing, 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 bing. they're letting go. And people like they said they saw the walkways kind of shimmy. And kaboom, like the fourth falls onto the second and they both collapse down oh onto the dance floor. And you don't see that. They ne- I could not find one video and they had to have gotten oh, on yes, tape. I could not find one video. God bless them for not putting that well, out You there. know how I, I would know, fucking you're watch sick it. Person. I would have to see it. They said, you know, the guy that they were interviewing, he's like, I was this new report. I really wanted that juicy story and I'm covering the fucking tea dance at the Hyatt. He goes, and the next thing I know... I'm watching people jumping off of these walkways and trying to escape. So um, they they collapse onto each other. Someone eating on the 42nd floor of the, I guess it was more than 40 stories high. He was eating at like a Spinnaker Hotel at the mm-hmm. top. Said it felt like an explosion. He could feel it on the 42nd floor. <coughs> so Sorry. when the walkways collapse... It sets off the sprinkler system, which is filling the lobby with water. And all the electrical work now is sparking into oh, this God. water. Okay. Um, the cameraman, Chuck Hayes and his wife were there. He was a cameraman, I forgot to say. Uh, they are trapped from the waist down by the walkways. Oh. Many people are like half out, half under. Uh, he says, you know, he's sitting in this dirty, filthy water. It was gray. And then all of a sudden it started turning red. And they're, um, you know, obviously on the camera, you can see everybody screaming and everything and rescue people like immediately Mm -hmm. starting to go and trying to find out what's going on. He is like they when the firefighters come in, they thought the rug was red and they realized, no, that's the color of the water. So poor little Dalton Grant and his mother are trapped under. There are 31 people trapped underneath the walkways. Mm -hmm. He has a crushing pelvic injury, and his mother has two broken legs. She, now, she was an ER nurse, and he just remembers his mother saying the whole time, don't go to sleep, mm-hmm. don't go to sleep, don't go to sleep. Uh, Mark Williams is in the space the size of a suitcase. No. He said his legs were behind his ears. No. Yep. He was completely dislocated from the hips, legs behind his ears. I can't even like, like one like how? one leg was across his chest, the other one. Was I mean, behind. just like he was standing, and it came. It just fell came, on, and they, unless he yeah, unless he fell like onto his butt, yeah. and then the weight popped yeah. his legs. I can't even imagine. I can't how these people ended up in the positions they ended up. But I, he could. He's like I could touch the back of my leg. Oh, all right. By his and he's in a tiny little space. Yeah. Um, and then you know many just were never heard from again. Mm-hmm. So Doctor Joe Wackerly. 
he is an ER doctor at Baptist Medical and he's ending his shift when over the, you know, they have these machines, the EMTs will call and be like, there's a problem. They're like, they want to talk to you. He's like, I'm going home. They're like, they need to talk to you. He gets on the phone. They're like, there's been a collapse at the Hyatt. We, all he knows is he doesn't know what's collapsed. Gets in his car, fucking flies over to Bap, uh, to the Hyatt Regency. Mm-hmm. Um, the mayor gets a call at home, gets in his car, heads over. They call the guy, Jack Gillum, who was the architect. He flies in to Kansas City. Mm-hmm. He's like, it was like a gut punch I to can't. hear that something I had designed had collapsed. That's, I mean, you, I know people get mad at them, but I'm like, he didn't design they it. They can yeah. never. Right. I mean, you just can't. He's going to take the fall right. for this. But, some, but it, something went wrong. That I just he, don't think that those people could ever. For, they never meant no, for that no, to happen. They can never forgive no, themselves. No. Um, they are met with a scene of chaos. Mm. Dr. Wackley goes in. He's starting to triage from inside the lobby. Eventually, you're seeing him triage out in um, the parking lot. Nobody can figure out what the fuck to do. Because these are all made with concrete. They weigh like tons and tons. Nothing. How are we going to get these people up from underneath? So they brought in um, a ton of like constru- hundreds of construction workers. You see them walking in with jackhands. Mm-hmm. It's not going to do shit. Right. Now the people, they're interviewing them. They're like, you know, we're trapped in there and the water is filling. He goes, one guy's like, I put my head in the water. Take a deep, lift my head up, take a deep breath, put my head back in the water. Because... They're going to drown. Right. They're like, all right, well, he's like, this is this is how I'm going. Mm-hmm. You know, one guy's like, I'm trying to call my wife. I'm trying to call my wife. She'd randomly answer me. I'm trying to, you know, back and forth. Two of them were in there with their wives. So they eventually open the lobby doors and let the water start Thank God. pouring out. Um, I have to figure out where I'm. Okay, so they try getting these construction workers in. They're not working. They call the National Guard disaster team in. They show up with all this, like, moving equipment and everything, but that's... They need something to lift. The, the firefighter jack, um, jaws of life aren't working. Nothing's worth working to get this stuff up. So the mayor's like, or whoever, I think it was maybe the head firefighter, excuse me. He's like, we're going to have to bring in cranes. So mm-hmm. they're bringing in all these cranes in. So the trapped victims... They're doing everything they can to stay alive. Um, Wack Williams, he's next to like a 12-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. She's saying her prayers. He's like, does it make you feel better to say your prayers? She's like, yeah, so they're saying prayers together. Mm-hmm. He goes, and eventually she just stops saying uh. her prayers. Um, Chuck Hayes is calling for his wife, Jeannie, and she'll answer him, and then she doesn't answer him. And still, for a long time, people don't know there's anybody alive underneath the walkways yet. So these people are just kind of hanging out, nobody knowing they're there. Mm-hmm. They're just trying to lift them to see who is under there. Right. So rescue workers eventually are walking and calling and they find a pocket of survivors and they try to figure out how many are in there. So they, they start calling out and at the initial count, there was 14 by the time of rescue, there's seven left. Mm. So there's that pocket, then like this Dalton Grant and his mother in another pocket. And I think Mark Williams is at the other end of the walkway that nobody's really paying attention to. He's the, I think the guy in the suitcase. Oh God. So, um, they find those survivors. One firefighter's walking around and he's calling and he has this kid, Dalton Grant, the 11 year old. The guy is like this glass and he lays down in the glass, in the debris. He did not leave that spot and talk to him through a hole till they got that kid out. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, I talked about the firefighter getting on his broken glass. Okay. So by 2 AM, so this happens at seven o'clock at night, 2 AM, the cranes finally show up. Jesus. And they have video of them just smashing through the glass walls to get the booms in to lift right. these things up. And they begin to lift the um, walkways. 
So the pocket of the 14 survivors are found. Seven are left, but they're all intertwined Uh-oh. with each other. So Dr. Wackley's like, <coughs> he says, I had to make some difficult decisions to get the live out. Later in the episode, he's like, I had to dismember people yeah. to get the living out. He's like, I am haunted I'm by what sure. I had, the decisions I had to make that day. Eventually, Dalton's mother get out. Um, but Mark Williams, he's off by himself. And it's just by chance. Somebody's walking by and is, I don't know if he's like, hey, anybody in there? And he hears him and he screams out. And they're like, we have somebody left. He is the last living person mm. to be pulled from the rubble of this thing. And he's in very bad shape when they pull him out. I, I, I can't even fathom them finding him like that. Right. Very like, how do you shape. look right. at him like that? They So they, you know, he's, I think he's the one. He's in the hospital. He's like, I woke up and I remember seeing my mother there. And he said, um, my mother asked him, like, is he going to live? And the doctor's saying that... Um, it doesn't look good. And he said, I, he doesn't remember this, but he's like, I sat up and said, I will be there for the opening of duck season. So <laughs> go fuck yourselves. And went back out to sleep. He goes, I was there for the opening of duck season. And mm. he said, my only thought in that pocket was, he's like, I could feel my legs and I knew it was bad. And he's like, how am I going to duck hunt with one leg as an amputee? Mm. How am I going to do that? Well, he fucking figured it out, yeah. I guess. Um, Dalton is... His mother makes a full recovery from her broken legs. He, that kid's in the hospital for months mm. in a pelvic injury. Because you can imagine a pelvic injury in 1981. Yeah. Kid was in a spica cast for months. Yeah. Um, Chuck Hayes, they pulled his wife out. She had a full body crushing injury. Oh. Um, so her organs, everything, everything was crushed. She is lucky to be alive. They interview her a couple of the, her face. Oops, her face is all bruised. Everything. She She was in rough. She was in rough shape. But. All the people, obviously, they interviewed survived. Mm-hmm. I think they said um, 114 were killed. 200 total were injured by wow. that. So they do, obviously, a full-scale investigation mm-hmm. of what happened. So the walkways were held up by these box beams. So let's say, you know, walkway four, you've got the cable coming down, and it's got a bolt holding it to the box beam, and it's got the washer under it. So the washer and the bolt are holding and the metal's holding over the bolt. They were supposed to be what they called, uh, what did he call them? Stiffer plates. Steel plates were supposed to be between the bolt and the washer to support the metal. Um, you know, like when you see, when you look at metal, mm-hmm. if you're building a building, it looks like an H, right? Yeah. Okay. So the screws that are holding it to the ceiling come through the middle of the H. Mm-hmm. And you would have, oh. all right, so there's supposed to be a stiffer plate to support the the weight of the the washer. They didn't put the stiffer plates in. They cheaped out. Mm-hmm. Gillum, Jack Gillum, the owner of the uh, architect, he thought it was a given they would put the sti- stiffer plates in. He never said, make sure you put stiffer plates in. They just didn't do it. So what happened is the weight of the walkways eventually brought the metal over mm-hmm. and they just split snap. And... Obviously, when the fourth floor and all of them were anchored this way, now you added all this weight over. And it's only a year before it took for them to split. Mm. The weight of the fourth just, you know, totally takes out the second. So, you you know, I'll try to see if Mike can put up what I'm trying to explain. I hope I explained it in a way because it makes sense when you look at it. The metal just peeled over the the washer. There was no way because it needed extra support. Um, Ultimately... 
Jack Gillum's company was held responsible and 70 million went out in settlements and all of the survivors were like, that was never enough for what those people went through. Yeah. Um, it has remained the second deadliest structure collapse until 9-11. They, out of this, uh, a lot of the emergency, they didn't have PTSD at the time. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these people were suffering PTSD. I can't, can you imagine seeing that shit? And they weren't even interviewed for, um, like court and stuff because they said they couldn't make them go back and talk about what they saw. They, it was too gruesome. Mm -hmm. Wackerly works for the, a government he does disaster management he teaches lectures on because they said in the beginning it was chaos but eventually between the fire department wackerly and um just like the engineers and everything it was one of the best emergency responses they had ever seen so he now talks about that mm -hmm. and he's like i didn't want to be making made a hero over to this i did this whatever anybody else would have done he's like and i had to make some terrible decisions and i have to live with what i made he said, you know, a lot of them said they went home so tired they couldn't stand but couldn't go to sleep yeah. after what they had seen. Um, so, yeah, that's it. Gillum's firm lost their license in the state, paid out $70 million, and uh, they just needed some stiffener plates. Yeah, just little, pla little, little plates. Little plates. Yep. So that was one of our death and destruction episodes because, you know, I find them very entertaining. Yeah. Not that I love people dying, but it's just the shit that people did. And the catastrophic catastrophic it's, problems when they yeah. cheap out or just you know always do the right thing like mm -hmm. always do the right thing i just mm -hmm. if you just live by those words you know i mean i, I was thinking too I'm like maybe if they didn't build the walkways out of concrete that's when you said that i was like wait why are they concrete why i was thinking they were glass because it was yeah. early 80s. but i was picturing because the wall, like I'm picturing glass, like so it's all yeah, see-through. No. no, the the sides of it were glass, but the walkway itself. But I'm saying, carpet. you know, like they could have done like a. I mean, thick... look at all the buildings in Boston and stuff. Oh, they're gross. The time. They're Everything was fucking concrete. concrete. It was cheap and easy. All right, and heavy, and very, heavy. very, very heavy. <laughs> I mean, I think we had the ugliest city hall in the country. Oh, God, it's terrible. It's hideous. Terrible. Um, on that note, yeah. So bring in your ideas. We need them. We need them. We need them. Mm -hmm. uh, summer series is coming. And have a wonderful spring. Yes, yeah. in the air. I'm loving the spring. I'm seeing flowers. We're now. almost there. We're we almost are almost there. there. We're almost for the warm weather. I know. Um, talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Like, subscribe, rate, and review the Scissors and Scrubs podcast on whatever podcast app you listen to us on. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Scissors and Scrubs. And email us any of your stories or thoughts to scissorsandscrubs at gmail.com.